Welcome back to the Inner Fight Endurance Podcast, episode number 191. Tom Walker, hello. Hello. Can you hear me now? <laughs> so rattly. So rattly. You right. are in different rooms again. Yeah, we are. My fault this time. I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, uh, I'm in the Yorkshire room, which is North England. Yorkshire room. And Rob Foster's in the UK as well. Where is he at the minute? He's North North England. Yeah. North North England, Northumberland. Yes. Yes. We yes. are brought to you as always by Hoka. Oh, mate, have I got something to say about Hoka actually? Here we go. Here we go. I've set you up. He's I, off. Is that a rant or I, is it uh, good stuff? No, no, no. It's good. I bought <laughs> one pair of shoes with me to mm-hmm. run in over here. Um and it was the the Tecton X twos. Okay, yeah. And they're they're obviously a trail shoe, but to get to the trails here, you have to run on some road and then you can get into the trails. So I was like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to be running on the road with them. Unbelievable, mate. It's amazing. You just Why? cruise along the road. I don't know, something about the shoe. It feels like you're running in a road shoe, but you've obviously got the grip of the trail. And then when you get onto the trails, that meg- that vibrant mega grip is so good. So good. Yeah. And yesterday we did. Yesterday we went for a 12, 10 to twelve k hike in the Peak District with uh, with my mum and two dogs. And I straight away was like, "Let's find the hill." Straight up a twenty percent climb for about four hundred meters, and these things were just, mate, you can walk up walls on them. Did you, Great shoe. Did you drop your mum on a climb? Yes. You went for a hike. Absolutely, in, in I did. Car- you went for a hike in carbon shoes. Carbon certainly trip. did. Next, we're going to be doing spot snatches in these Tecton X's. Yeah, see if I'm allowed to do that. Both uh, dogs, you know, panting their heads off. Mum, bottom of the hill. I'm at the top. All <laughs> thanks to the Tecton X too. Oh, amazing! I still haven't tried them. Still haven't tried them. It's, it's paining me now. I'm gonna to have to message our guy. <laughs> get a set over. I want to talk about Track Tuesday this week. Because we had a testing session. So every, for anyone that doesn't run with us, every, probably about eight weeks or so, maybe sometimes a little bit longer in the winter, but we have a Track Tuesday testing session where we get the athletes to run a 400 meter max effort with four minutes recovery, a 1K max effort with eight minutes recovery into a 3K max effort. It's always a great session to Firstly, to coach, but also to watch, because you really get to see how people react when, instead of just being a, a standard track session, you're like, it's a test. And so many people crumble, and so many people drop out where they wouldn't normally in a usual session. Firstly, yeah. I'm putting the question to you, why do you think that is? The word test, isn't it? The people word hate, test. Mm. I hate the pressure of testing, and I think that's, one of the best things about the multi-duration run tests, they're like, there might be better run tests out there. I don't think there is for a track situation on a Tuesday morning, but there might be. But the point is that this test, some people who have been with us for six years now, five or six years, they've done this test probably three or four times a year. Yeah. And so they have their numbers. Like I have huge spreadsheets of numbers for clients who have done this test, you know, three times a year for the last five years. So, you can't hide from that. And I think <laughs> if, if you, we don't always tell them when the test is coming. Um, 
and so you suddenly see test in your training peaks and you have to face face the fear but it's so important because our track sessions are based off one three or five k pace intervals so mm. if you don't know what your paces are let's say you're working to a 3k pace that you'd set last year you are and and you're now slower than that then you're really smashing yourself up every tuesday morning which isn't always helpful sometimes it is sometimes we don't want to be um and vice versa if if you're cruising at the back of a group because you think you're slower than what you actually are you're not getting the most out of the session so it's important that the word test is put forward because it is a test for people but i think that is the main reason why people fear it because they're going to be judged if they like what was your highlight of the of, <laughs> of the session i know exactly what mine is i love i love sessions of like this because we turn into little children we <laughs> We belittle people that aren't running fast enough and we cheer people on to try and overtake people that they would never normally run close to in an actual track session. And it's brilliant to see people absolutely destroy themselves and truly give, but they do, they do truly give max effort, sometimes to the detriment of the rest of the session. <laughs> but it's so much fun to watch. Um, my, I know your favorite moment. I'll let, I'll let you have it. <laughs> My mine is actually a bit different. I have um a client who's who came to me to do Ironman triathlons um three or four years ago and loved the process, loved the data, loved the yeah, the the whole geeky part behind it and was brand new to it. So really went through a stage of like everything being in order and you know, was almost the perfect client. But since then, or since completing the Ironman had really struggled to be on board with a continuous program and absolutely feared testing mm. or any any kind of session that pushes them out of their, their comfort zone and on tuesday i didn't tell them that it was a, a testing session <laughs> what did you put in so, training uh, peaks nothing so they rocked <laughs> up um they rocked up without a watch because that's one of the that's one of the good things we're working on is just just running you know you don't need a watch to run so don't worry about it and so they showed up without a watch but they still went all in on the test and the the gratification at the end was not nothing to do with time of their one of their 400 one or 3k they have no idea what time they ran it in um it was nothing to do with whether they'd improved or got worse based on the last testing it was just that they showed up and gave it everything and that for sure is my highlight of it amazing yeah, you want, you want me to tell you mine now? So mine is, is, is the, the tussle between group one and group two. So Cathal, he is training for a marathon. He's not as fast as Sean. We know this. <laughs> but the first, the first effort is a 400-meter max effort, and he stuck to the back of Sean and overtook him on that second bend. On the outside, I was yeah. screaming in that last 30 minute, uh, the last 30 meters as he came down the home stretch, he didn't recover mad. in that four minutes. <laughs> and so I thought he started off with Sean on the one K, but Sean had dropped him in the first 200 meters again. <laughs> he did pick it up for the three K, but he was gone by then. Absolutely gone. Actually, Brutal. it brought me onto something that I wanted to ask you. So why is this session so good? 
for runners because if you do give a true 400 meter max effort you're not recovering in that four minutes before the 1k so what what are the runners getting from this session for that 1k and the 3k yeah i think when we look at it similar to um how we do our ftp test as well in in cycling um and swimming actually with the css test is if you if you base your paces off complete freshness you're probably being a little bit inaccurate when it comes to your training because when do we when do we ever go into training sessions completely fresh we should only be going into races completely fresh because we taper for it but generally in our training week we carry around a bit of fatigue with with us not just from training but from life and you know um work and other things as well so the 400 you go into it fresh but it's a real hard anaerobic effort and that tells us some information maybe you know i think often in your policies with your clients mate beginners improve their 400 rapidly yeah. but once you once you've got an established runner their 400 doesn't really change maybe by a few seconds here and there but what it does do is it sets the body up to be in a position where it has to deal with a load of lactate and a load of fatigue but four minutes is enough to recover if you are fit mm-hmm. um in, a, in an anaerobic manner as well so it then gives you an honest one and three K effort, which are endurance efforts. They're aerobic efforts. Um, I know they don't feel like it at the end, but they are, they are true aerobic efforts. So you're, you're then getting an idea of what your actual pacing is with a bit of fatigue in the legs um, and not just pure freshness. Cause from those one and three K efforts, you know, we then work out what paces you're going to run at track for the following weeks. But let's say for most of our guys, they're either riding or running on a Monday they're going to have a little bit of fatigue in their legs Tuesday. So we don't want to set them up to fail on future track sessions by giving them their fresh paces when they're not fresh going in. Perfect. Love it. Love it. Hi. One more question on this. Let's say, so I imagine there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people who want to go run this next week themselves from wherever they're listening <laughs> in the world. You do your 400, it's max effort. Your legs are primed you kind of said or alluded to that it's max effort, but it doesn't really matter as long as you go into it fatigued. We're really interested in that 1K and the 3K. If you run a really good 1K, 3K, what should be your drop in pace? What are we looking for? What's not good? Or what is good? I think it depends on, depends on what kind of runner you are. So if you train for a marathon, if you can, if you can split your, um, your 3K and 1K pace by roughly 15 seconds per K, then you're in a good place. Yeah. Um, if you're an ultra runner, you're going to have a closer gap. So your 3K is going to be, your 3K pace is going to be closer to your 1K pace. And if you're a 10K runner or a 5K runner, um, or you're maybe a sprint athlete, something like that, then you're going to have a bigger gap between your 1K and your 3K, but maybe only up to about 20 to 25 seconds per K. So the faster or shorter distances that you do, the likely we'll see your 1K being a little bit wider apart than your 3K in terms of faster and the, and the opposite way, the other way. So if you're a longer distance based athlete, your three and your one are likely to be closer. Yeah. What if you, you do a really good effort in the 1K, but you just can't seem to hold it for that 3K on the day? Yeah, I mean, that's perfect insight for us as coaches, isn't it? It's like we, that's a clear gap in your endurance gain. Yeah. or your muscular endurance game so either way like these sessions if you if you smash them out of the park we win and if you fail we also win because we get to an idea of where we need to improve yeah and i think as well like 
if you really, really struggle after the 400, then your your anaerobic, um, just muscular power is is poor as well, which can also be a really easy gain to make, like low hanging fruit, which can help with your endurance. Yeah, it's worth also noting that if for the slower runners, we change a 3k time trial to a 12 minute max distance, because you're probably looking at maybe a six or seven minute 1k. And so you're, you know, to do a 25 minute or 20 minute max effort run is just not feasible. So 12 minute for distance is a really good measure for that as well. Good old Cooper test. Good old Cooper. What else have we got happening? You had some guys doing time trials yesterday out in Kudra. Yeah, which is another way of doing a, a good test uh, for people. So, we, I mean, through the summer, it's a great time to to do some best efforts, especially on the trainer if you're training indoors. But the time trial season here is, is kicked off now. So I sent um, any of my guys who are looking to do sort of triathlon races throughout the season um, or just go and have a bit of fun and a smash fest to, to, to actually ride out on the in the real world again on the road. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. We had a few... A few guys who have really smashed it through the summer on their trainers um, struggled a little bit to put that power out outdoors. I think there's, you know, obviously you've got a bike fit, um, bike fit difference there, which is, it feels different to ride your, your TT bike on the road versus on a trainer. Mm. Um, but you also, you have more to think about outside. So you might be thinking less about putting the power down and, and more about, you know, handling what others are doing wind direction, you know, all those other nuances that you don't get riding indoors. But also had a guy um, who he PB'd his 5, 10, and 20-minute power, um, absolutely smashed it, including heart rate records. So it was, <laughs> it was a pretty fair test. And we would not have got that if, um, if we'd only, you know, kept him riding indoors only. So... I love time trials. This one's an 18K. So it's about, it's probably going to be around a 30 minute effort plus mm-hmm. or minus a couple of minutes, um, which is a hard effort, right? That's the only thing worse than a 30 minute time trial. That's probably the, the, the just under an hour time trial, which is basically a true FTP test. Um, but you also get the chance to ride on the road again, real world situation, race situation, full race setup. And, uh, and see where your legs are for, uh, post-summer. So, yeah, it was a great, great little test to see. And the ones who didn't do as well, we know that we need to put them into some shorter, harder efforts on the road, not just on the trainer. And, uh, and the guy who absolutely smashed it, VK, he's just given himself a world of confidence going into the, into the triathlon season. What's he, what's he racing next? So we'll do the local, the local events, which... Um, Roy Nasser is coming up October yeah. 7th. That's uh, Olympic Mamza, distance. I think. Olympic, yeah. Mamza Olympic is also in October, I think 27th maybe. And then um, Bahrain 70.3 early December or Muscat 70.3 February. They're the two main target races for the Try Guys uh, at the moment. Plenty, plenty for them yep. to get stuck into. Plenty, mate. There's so much happening now. Um, so much going on and even if there isn't stuff going on we we create it ourselves but um, yeah there's enough definitely enough races for the try guys to be getting stuck into superb one more thing that is huge huge hot off the press not a hot off the press people have known since saturday but it is 
kick starting within our endurance community is the Inner Fight Endurance Trail Running Club. It will launch this Saturday. That is Saturday the 9th up at Wadi Shoka. I've just counted up how many people have said they're going to come and we are at over 40. Over <laughs> 40 of our endurance athletes and new people want to come and run with us in the mountains. So what is it? That's what I'm hearing people ask. What is Trail Running Club? It's going to be a coached community package for anyone that loves outdoors, anyone that loves adventure, anyone that loves running in the trails. And we're going to have weekly group training sessions. People can come to our Track Tuesday. They can come to our coffee run. We'll have local trail runs, alternating weeks with um, runs out in the mountains. So if we run locally on a Friday, we'll run the next week on a Saturday, somewhere longer. It's not just for ultra runners. It is for anyone that loves running off tarmac. I can't stress that enough. So if you can only run a five or a 10K, that is absolutely fine. You should come. It is for you. We'll also have risk discounts where applicable. And we'll also have our international run camp in Chamonix, which is end of June, start of July each year. So that kicks off this Saturday. So excited. It's going to be so good. So good. When's the last time... Last time I ran with you on trails was when we took you, Steph, and your dog on a random Friday morning. <laughs> when <laughs> Billy, <so> hot. <laughs> Billy dropped you off. Uh, and you, Billy had ice packs in the attached to his body to keep him cool, but even then he overheated. I think Steph overheated yeah. as well. In fairness, yeah. we were trying was to... that the last time we were on the trails. That's sad, mate. That was a long time ago. We that was an, make, it was a Friday morning, change. wasn't it? We went there instead of going to coffee run. And me and, you, yeah. me and you ran ahead and Billy and Steph were behind and we were trying to bet who would come around the corner first based on who was more deep fried. <laughs> Billy's still recovering from it, Billy's mate. still recovering. He's still flat out on the floor. Two years um. on. Yeah. <laughs> nah, we've run together since then. Maybe I could or something. It's just, it's just the last session that pops into my head. Yeah. Now we had five minutes together from Zads, remember? oh yes uh, actually yeah the last time i ran with you on trails when you dropped me and steph you said we're gonna we'll warm up at 5 30 per k and you took off at 4 4 15 and then so me and steph caught up with jack and we did a 90 degree left turn and ran into the desert away from you (laughs) it's funny mate there's something about trails i planned a route here um i'm in like west yorkshire uh at the moment and um I set out, planned a nice route that went around one of the old uh, pits here called Frickley Pit. And it's, it's a mix of on and off, off-road. And I was like, oh, that'd be perfect. It's about 10, 12 Ks. You know, it's, I had intervals to do. So I um, you know, had it all laid out. And then I set off and I ran up the road from here and saw a, a bridleway about 3 K into my run. And, and I just thought, ah, screw it. I'm going on that. I just went off down this bridleway. I had no idea where I was going, but I was like, it's a bridleway, so it'll lead somewhere good. Somewhere, yeah. <laughs> um, and I must have been running on this bridleway, which people who don't know is like for, built for horses, um, for horses to be on. So it is it's off-road, it's trail, it's muddy. Um, it's very up and down. And I, I just took it because I was like, it just looks so much fun. And I just did it, ran off, ended up in a village, found the next bridleway, ended up in the next village. And in the end, I think I ran, yeah, probably similar distance that I wanted to, but just had so much fun because you're constantly looking like not to slip, going up and down. You're running 
you know, through hedges or if you're in the, you're, you're running in places that other people aren't. So it's not yeah. busy. It's just so fun. Trails it, are just so fun. <laughs> it's just so fun. Because, I mean, quite often people are into just the same routine, right? They run in the same places, the same loops, in the same direction. And yeah. I, I can't do it. I think that's why trail running is just so appealing because there's there's more turns. There's more sort of, you know, you can get to a junction and turn left one week and turn right the next week or go straight the week after. You can run out and back. And as long as you're fairly competent with directions or you know how to use your watch, you're safe. It shouldn't really be an issue. So you should never get lost. Yeah. Yeah. And yesterday in the peaks, we I can't remember where we, Lady Bower Reservoir, where we were going from. And mate, you'd have loved it because it was so busy up on the up on the trails. Yeah. Not busy like annoying because there's so many trails and it's a massive, obviously, area. But we must have seen hundreds of people out on a Sunday walking around. Some people were mountain biking. Some people were running. And no one is like, you know, when you're in the city and you're running, people are checking their watch. They're jogging on the spot. They're, you know, making sure that they don't miss their interval. Whereas yesterday we were just wandering around or other people are wandering around some people are running with their dogs saying good morning saying hello just such a nice atmosphere and that that's similar to trail running isn't it yeah totally amazing right let's get into the meat and bones of today's show we are talking training adaptations so specifically what are training adaptations and how long do you have to train consistently to get all the benefits of all that training? Because one thing we see quite a lot is people will come to us and say, I want to run this race or that race. And they are completely blind to how long it'll take for them to get that race fitness. And so in this show, nice. I break down how long all of that takes. So you will be well-informed for realistic guidelines. That's it. Let's jump into today's show. Right. Let's get into the show. Understanding the timeline of training adaptations. As endurance athletes, particularly trail and ultra runners, this is what I envisage when I think about this, but it really is applicable to all sports. Runners, triathletes, whoever. We participate in these sports. It demands a huge amount of physical capacity and mental resilience. And conquering the distance over these challenging terrains and in the challenging temperatures that we race in, it requires your body to be strong and your mind to be really well prepared. One of the, the main elements, if you like, that often escapes many of the runners that I meet is the time that it takes for these adaptations to occur and the process by which your body's gradually going to change and get stronger in response to the training that you put it through. If you understand these stages of adaptation, and how they're going to align with the training strategies, you can approach your training with much more intention. And that's ultimately what we want. We want to know what we're training for, why, and how long these gains, these elusive gains are going to take. So before we look into the, the, the intricacies, big words today, of adaptation timelines, we need to grasp what's actually happening to your body, what's going to change when you take part in these endurance sports. The building blocks from which your performance is constructed. So we're gonna start by nerding out on some basic physiology, and then we're gonna connect the dots and explain to you how you can use this information to inform your training or 
you will understand why your coach has programmed the training the way that they have. So if we look at your cardiovascular system, it's going to take center stage in these early adaptations. As training begins for a novice athlete, your heart's going to become more efficient. It's going to pump more blood with each beat. This is called stroke volume. And at the same time, the number of capillaries supplying your muscles increases. So the delivery of that oxygen and the nutrients to these muscles is going to be enhanced. Think of this as building a brand new 15 lane super highway to deliver rich oxygen filled blood to your muscles, which is what you need when you start running, you start swimming or you start cycling. These changes are going to lead to improved endurance. So we are winning here. And the great thing is all you have to do to benefit from these gains, to add an extra lane to your superhighway, is to train consistently. That's it. The second phase, if you like, sees mitochondrial biogenesis, which is, it's a really, Google it, it's a really interesting process where the cells produce more mitochondria, which is your, your powerhouse of energy. And the enzymes that are critical for this aerobic energy production become more active. And if they're more active, it's going to lead to increased energy efficiency. So your body is going to rely more on fat metabolism. It's going to save your glycogen stores and enhance your endurance. And again, if you want more mitochondria, what you have to do is start training and do it consistently. So, so far, it's so simple, right? So, so simple. If we go then to the advanced stage, your lactate threshold. Now we hear this being banded around all the time. Everyone's got their fancy Garmin on. They're going, you know what? My lactate threshold has increased this week. Lactate threshold indicates exercise intensity at which your body's ability to clear lactate from the bloodstream lags behind its production. So in essence, you are able to sustain higher intensities for longer periods of time. If you exercise above lactate threshold, lactate is gonna build in the blood faster than you can clear it. The higher your lactate threshold, the more lactate that your blood can clear. And so the faster you're able to train. Make sense? Excellent. The maximum oxygen consumption capacity which is commonly known as VO2 max, increases significantly with enhanced aerobic fitness. So ultimately, your endurance performance lies on the ability for your body to uptake and utilize oxygen. If you visualize your VO2 max as your, your upper limit of your performance capacity, all the other factors operating within its parameters, okay? So much like a room ceiling, that would be your VO2 max. That establishes the highest point or the peak of the, if you like, yeah, your, the peak of your physical capabilities. And it encompasses all of the elements that contributes to your overall potential. So we have VO2 max and lactate threshold. 
although consistent training over time is going to contribute to these adaptations and you're going to achieve significant changes, you have to construct specific workouts to enhance your VO2 max or your lactate threshold. So just having consistency here will not cut it. And one more thing, long-term adaptations through endurance training will give you structural changes. So your connective tissues, your tendons, your ligaments are going to grow more resilient. They're going to grow stronger. And this is going to reduce the risk of injury. If I didn't talk about the mental resilience that also develops during long, hard training blocks, well, I would be doing you a disservice. <laughs> Your mental resilience does develop. It's going to ensure that you can endure physiological changes that accompany your training. So if you have been running for a long time, you will know that the more hard sessions you do mentally, the better you are prepared when it comes to race day. The more scenarios you've been in where you've struggled and you've had to overcome adversity, the better you are prepared. So... For those of you that are new to the endurance journey, persistence pays off. It will get easier. <laughs> the road ahead will be smoother. It's going to be more manageable, I promise. But then I suppose with that, when things become easier, you can push yourself harder. So the sessions become harder and then it resets. But you are stronger physically and mentally. So the big question, how long does all of this take? The, the adaptation journey, it's going to follow a natural sequence. So you have your early stage, your intermediate stage, and your advanced stage. And each athlete's journey and timeline is going to vary drastically due to loads of factors like genetics, training history, um, loads. So, I mean, if you understand the progression if you understand your genetics, if you understand your training history and where you are in this journey, then it's going to give you a better roadmap for your training optimization. The early phase typically lasts anywhere between one, one week to a month, and you are going to experience cardiovascular efficiency and improved blood flow in as little as a week. The neurological adaptations are going to give you smoother coordination, greater efficiency, and it's going to lay the foundations, if you like, for future development. In the intermediate phase, between a month and two months, you're going to get that rise of mitochondrial biogenesis. You're going to get increased aerobic enzyme activity. And that fat metabolism takes center stage. It's going to help you experience improved energy utilization and efficiency. And if we go to the advanced phase, that's sort of between two months and three months, you're going to notice that your lactate threshold and your VO2 max are going to make substantial improvements if you have been working on training blocks specifically towards them. Your ability to store glycogen is going to increase. It's going to reduce fatigue then during prolonged efforts because you're able then to run longer. And you might start to experience a variety of positive sensations. 
within these advanced adaptations. So physiologically, you could, you might sense an increased capacity to run harder for longer and higher intensity. So if you go to track Tuesday sessions, you might go, actually, that, that session today felt a little bit easy. I'm going to jump up a group or I'm going to do an extra rep or I'm going to push the pace a little bit. Um, it might, if you like, manifest, you might feel like you have enhanced endurance. <laughs> On a subjective level, you may perceive heightened sense of ease during your runs. Things are going to feel a little bit easier. And you might find that effort that used to feel challenging now feels more manageable. And that indicates to us and to you that your body's adapting to the higher workloads and it's adapting to the, the more demanding workouts and you're making those sustained changes. Consistency is paying off. If you look longer term, if you look several months to years and years of consistent training, then the changes are physiological and hugely mental. Your connective tissues are gonna strengthen. Your mental resilience solidifies. And if you look at overall performances, they're going to reach new heights. If you're signing up for longer distance runs, all of the training you did years ago, I've built the foundations for these training blocks going forward. So you might not necessarily need to have these longer base and these longer lead times into these races. Adaptations over a long period of time, they... They represent, if you like, the pinnacle of your training journey. It's a culmination of persistent effort, consistent training, and physiological transformation. Losing the will to live. Losing the will to talk here. And physiological transformation. These long-term adaptations um, encompass a spectrum of changes that are going to elevate your performance capacity. And they will ensure that your training efforts continue to give you meaningful results, even into the latter stages of your running career. The changes never stop. Now, a key part of this, and it's an essential part of this, the, probably the biggest lesson, these adaptations, they follow a path from A to B to C to D and so on. There is no way like the Amazon logo from you to jump from A through to Z without working through these adaptations. They are dictated by physiology and they are only achievable through dedicated effort, taking the rest and consistency. I think I've said it 12 times. <laughs> these transformations, you cannot get them through shortcuts. You cannot get them through quick fixes. You cannot get them through hacks. And to fully harness these benefits, you need to embrace the long-term process required for true growth. It's just like when you go to the gym. You will not go do a cracking set of three by eight bench press and come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It will take time. It will take dedication. It will take effort. So what we generally see when we look at athletes' training history, and why training history is actually so important, is that there's a misunderstanding of these adaptation timelines, a lack of awareness 
about how quickly you can make these process and it these this this progress and it leads it can lead you down a dangerous path if you rapidly escalate your training volume or if you really increase your training intensity too quickly which is common this often results in overtraining and injury most of the time it's impatience it could be unrealistic expectations it could be frustration that you're not making this fast progress and what you've got to remember is that completing a hard training session today is not going to immediately translate to enhanced fitness tomorrow. It just doesn't work like that. This process of adaptation has to unfold before you get the benefits. If you rapidly increase your training volume or intensity, it doesn't give the body sufficient time to develop these stronger systems, which is then it's like trying to put a Ferrari engine in a Nissan Tida. The systems are not capable of handling this intensified training load. You need to get the structure right first to be able to support that high intensity. Something that is huge, and I think genuinely it's getting worse, is inadequate recovery. You might do a hard workout and fail to give yourself sufficient time off or enough active rest or recovery time or prioritize sleep between intense workouts. And what we generally find is that your progress is going to stagnate or even start to decline without having sufficient rest. It's going to lead to burnout and that diminished performance is going to be very, very clear. Um, now in this context, I would advise you to be cautious. If you're new to training, it might be worthwhile scheduling easy, short workouts following on from challenging or lengthy sessions. So we we have our hard session, our track Tuesday on a, on a Tuesday, obviously. Wednesday should be an easy day, generally, if you're new to endurance sports. It's important to think long-term. Do you incorporate deload weeks into your training session or recovery weeks where after a period of several weeks of intense volume or high intensity, we lower the volume, we lower the intensity, we balance the stress with the recovery. It's a fundamental training principle and it's going to give well, it's going to give you the chance to optimize these adaptations and give you like a mental breather from that training block. Ultimately, that will keep you engaged for longer. And so you'll continue the sport for years and years and years to come. We cannot all function in high stress environments for long periods of time. It's just not feasible. So incorporating these deload or down weeks into our plan is super useful. Something that we see in ultra runners especially is pre-race nerves. And we often see people like to book races in really close proximity to their A race and their A race day. So, you know, let's say somebody wants to have a, a tune-up run. They've got a hundred miler coming up in a few weeks and they go, do you know what? I'm going to do a 50 miler, uh, an 80 kilometer race just a couple of weeks ahead. 
what you've got to consider is in the aftermath of this 80 kilometer race, which is probably going to be in the mountains. If you're hundred milers in the mountains, it, it's going to take time. It's going to take a couple of weeks, maybe even more for physiological benefits to come through from that 80k effort that's going to add to the burden of fatigue it's going to leave you more tired than you are fit and in that scenario if you'd understood the progression of adaptations over time you would be more empowered to strategically position a high volume training session or a high volume week or a tune-up race well in advance of the race day. That way, what you would get is the adaptations alongside sufficient recovery to be able to then carry that through into your long-term A race. If you understand the time that it takes for these adaptations to incur, particularly trail and ultra runners, because we're we're often, we're very bad. If we have a 100-mile race, then we think a 50K or a 50-mile is a, a short stint. <laughs> if you understand how long these adaptations take, then you are going to have a much more purposeful journey and a much more enjoyable journey in your endurance career. You can fine-tune your training strategies for optimal performance. If you have this awareness, it's going to ensure that you are not only physically prepared, but you are mentally resilient. That way, you're going to be able to navigate challenges. You're going to be able to avoid these common pitfalls, and you're going to be able to run, swim, or cycle on a path that blends the science, the resilience, and the commitment for you to achieve your fullest potential in this crazy world of endurance sports. That is all I have to say today. <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions about training adaptations, if you have booked a race and perhaps you booked a tune-up race and you're now questioning whether it is too close to your race day based on the training that you've done, feel free to drop me an email, rj at innerfight.com. We'll take a look at your training. We'll take a look at your training history. We'll have a look at your tune-up races and we will see if it's suitable. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I will do that for you guys. As always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for giving me your time. We always are looking for new guests. We're always looking for new things to talk about. We're always looking for topics. If you have a guest, a topic, maybe it's you. Maybe you want to come in and talk about your endurance journey, a challenge that you've overcome, a challenge that you face. Maybe you have a question for us that you want us to answer. Send us an email, winning at innerfight.com with the title podcast and we will take that question take that guest suggestion and reach out to them thank you very much have a wonderful week and i will see you all next week <laughs>